Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Investor Types Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Angelini, and I'm here today to talk about fixed income, or what people might commonly known as cash term deposits. Um, but what people don't know is that this does get a little bit more intrinsic and sexier, the product. And here to talk about sexy, we've got Adam Curtis from Perpetual. Thank you, Stefan. Glad Thanks to be here. Thanks very much for coming on. Absolute now, pleasure. When it comes to investing, and especially talking about fixed income, it can get quite boring and quite laborious. And I've heard you talk many times about this this information and, and all types of investing, but you've got a way to make your make your investing sound, I know, different yeah. and interesting. How do you do it? Look, I think, you know, it's an exciting asset class, albeit it doesn't get the cachet of, of other markets. I think that's a shame. It's the biggest of all capital markets. It's the oldest, but it's the most important. You know, and if you understand fixed income, all the other asset classes fall into place. I think the, the real challenge with fixed income is in its breadth. Um, mm. A lot of in investments can sound very similar, but yeah. can be very different. Uh -huh. The key to understanding fixed income is forget about it as thinking about fixed income. Think about it as loans. Mm. Think about it as lending, because that's all fixed income is. Think about the length of the loan you want to make. Think about the quality of the borrower. We call that credit quality. Some people call it tenor. But if you understand those principles of don't lend too long, don't lend to someone that you don't think will pay back, the beauty of fixed income lies in its predictability. Right. And when you come to the quality of your borrower, you can talk about borrowing money to governments? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's all sorts of different borrowers out there. And to a degree, the returns in fixed income are commensurate with the type of credit risk or the, or the type of borrower you lend to. Lend to a government, you've got a very low risk of not getting paid back. But conversely, you've got a pretty low yield. Lend to an investment grade company, you get paid a little bit more than lending to a government. Mm -hmm. Lend to a sub-investment grade company, you can get a return that sounds like equity, but you might not get your money back. So the more credit risk that you take in a portfolio from lending to a government, to lending to an investment grade company, to lending to someone that doesn't have sort of the balance sheet, the greater the opportunity for returns, but also the greater the opportunity for potentially risks that you're actually seeking to avoid. 100%. And there are risks in lending to different kinds of governments. Absolutely. You know, we've seen that a little bit um, over the last few years. I think one of the, the most oversubscribed bonds in the last couple of years was the Argentinian government bond that people were just clamouring because of the yields associated with it. What were they? Uh, look, I think at that point they were sort of 8, 9, 10% relative to sort of, you know, government bonds in Europe and the US that were paying you effectively nothing. In some cases they were paying <laughs> you negative yields. But it's interesting to that point because it's a good point you make, Steph, and that asset now is, I think, trading at about 50 cents in the dollar. So many investors buy an asset based on the sense of I get a, a, the promise of a great return, but they may actually find that they're actually getting risks that they that they don't see until they see. And that's the, the real challenge with fixed income. 100%. And when people go into the asset class or the, or the space, they go, well, this is a risk-free environment yeah. because they typically associate it with cash and term deposits. Yep. Um, to wind it right back, when you look at cash and term deposits, they mainly operate off the make bill swap rate or Correct. the by and large interest rate in the economy. And we've got Australia right now. Yep. Why? A lot of Australians love term deposits yes. because you got if you invest less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars into a big bank, yep. it's it's backed by the government. Yep. So your money is partly secured there. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but there are falling interest rates at the moment, so people are sort of clamouring as to what to do. Yeah. Why do you see interest rates falling? Look, it, it, it's a conundrum. To a degree, I suppose, interest rates are falling because, in essence, the Australian economy is not performing necessarily as strongly as, as our central bank and our governments would like, and they're using you know fiscal stimulus to, to try and kick that in. But you make a good point. I think good portfolios, whether it's fixed income or more broadly, have a blend of, of assets and a blend of different risks. And term deposits can provide part of the solution. Mm. But I think in today's climate, if the only asset that you owned in fixed income was a term deposit, well, you're doing yourself out of opportunities and you're introducing the risk that you're introducing a return that's insufficient 
to fund the retirement or the investment goals that many people have. Yeah. So I think good portfolios will hold term deposits. What's the right mix is a function of someone's attitude towards investment horizon and return. The challenge I think today is that a lot of fixed income investments have performed particularly well retrospectively mm. because interest rates have fallen. Um, that sort of historical return may not necessarily be re replicated if interest rates don't continue to fall and mathematically they can't continue yeah. to fall like they have. So the real challenge in, in life, like it is in investing, is that what's worked well in the past is unlikely to work well in the future. And that's really important that you understand what you buy before you necessarily buy it. Yeah, and that's so interesting that even though interest rates, term deposit rates are falling, fixed income, that space is still growing dramatically because of that. It is, I, and, and I think this goes back to the original question, Stefan, of understanding fixed income. You know, at Perpetual, we've done a fair bit of work with our clients on, on trying to help them understand it. And, and it really resonated with me that, that some of our clients and some of the people that we worked with in, in our families are big fixed income investors, but weren't investing in funds. They're really comfortable with the concept of what we call term deposits. Mm -hmm. Term deposits, you lend to a bank, a bank lends to you as a business owner, me as a homeowner, they leverage it up, the benefit for all those extra returns go to shareholders and the term deposit, in essence, bears the, the in essence, um, the lowest return for that. I'd look at fixed income as not necessarily lending to a bank, but lending like a bank. Yep. And the difference is that you, as the lender of the capital, benefit from the margins similar to the banks, in essence, lending to you and I or, or, or other sort of people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's th what people need to think about today. In a climate where risk is, is sort of poorly priced, cash rates are low, government bond yields are low, as investors, we're chasing returns. Mm -hmm. But we can well chase returns at the expense of actually what we're trying to do, which is manage risk. Good fixed income portfolios really provide the total portfolio or the other investments in that portfolio, the ability to take risks with greater confidence. Because if you structure your fixed income assets well, you've got the capacity to take risks in asset classes where you're rewarded. Mm -hmm. Equities are about making you money. Fixed income is about giving you the confidence to make money. And I think sometimes in today's climate, we run the risk of people buying fixed income investments that sound too good to be too true, yeah. and they may well find that they actually are. That's, that's part, part of the trickiness in the space, it is, isn't it? It is. And, and to that end, there are some simple questions investors should be asking themselves. Ask the group that's putting the product in front of them. Look at the offer document. What's the type of borrowers there? How many borrowers? How diversified? Where are you in the capital structure? What's the length of the loan? What's the type of loan? Is it fixed? Is it variable? Is it what they call short duration? Is These are hard questions, but frankly, they're the most important questions to ask because once you know those, you'll know exactly how it'll perform. We call it the fixed income toolbox. Happy to send it to you for your, for your clients and listeners uh, at a later point in time, but quality of loan, tenor of loan, subordination of loan, once you answer those questions, you've got a very clear picture of what you're buying. Yeah, and now, so you at Perpetual, Perpetual manage approximately $25 billion yeah, worth of money. Yeah, around $25 billion, yeah. Which is, you know, a lot, and that means you've got a lot of assets at your disposal to, yeah. in order to get more access to these companies and who you're lending money to. Correct. Your average Joe on the street can really get access to your, your cash rates and your term deposits. It's, it's really hard, it's a really good point. I mean, in some regards, the most commonly traded security um, that people are familiar with are, are shares. You can yeah. trade them on exchanges. Fixed income to a degree isn't traded often on exchanges. They're traded effectively what they call OTC or over the counter. Mm. So the minimum parcel size for most fixed income assets outside of cash and term deposits and things like that are 500,000. 
uh, and not many investors have just one $500,000 investment to make one loan. Well, it's because you're lending money. Correct. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the key risk in fixed income is asymmetric. Make a bad loan and you might not get your money back. So ironically, you actually want to manage risk in fixed income differently to equities. I think you're rewarded for concentration risk in equities. I'd be happy to own a portfolio of 10 or 20 shares, but in fixed income, we would average probably 100 loans. Because if one loan doesn't perform like you expect, you've got 99 other loans kicking in, where the reality is if you've got five loans and one goes bad, you could be waiting 20 or 30 years to get your money back on the total portfolio. And that's the risk that investors need to be aware of today. There are plenty of products that are offering people yields of seven, eight percent. How can you hone fixed income and it be defensive and predictable when cash rates are 75 points and someone's targeting a yield of eight percent? There's something wrong there. Yeah, those those kinds of risks that people take, they're just you, you need you need to have your numbers right. Yeah, and Absolutely. that's why that's why people pay businesses in order to manage that fixed income risk. In terms of how much of a portfolio people normally have yeah. um, into fixed income, you said you love your equity space because yeah. you've got the growth there. Yeah. And that's what yeah. you try to focus on. Fixed income does play a certain role Absolutely. in a portfolio, more yeah. of an income yeah. sort yeah. of a role. It does. And I think like someone's allocation to fixed income is a function of, of, of sort of different questions for different people. Sometimes it's a, their attitude to risk. Sometimes it's their capacity to absorb risk. A young investor in accumulation, in my opinion, probably doesn't need a great deal of fixed income. Mm -hmm. They might own some for some liquidity or yep. some optionality that they've got. But their job and our job in the industry is how do we grow their wealth? Mm -hmm. You get to a point in your investment journey where your focus moves from growing wealth to preserving wealth. And I think through that sort of investment journey, potentially your exposure to fixed income can grow. Um, by the nature of your capacity to absorb risks. Yep. And there are other investors, statutory bodies like hospitals and health funds, mm -hmm. et cetera, insurance companies that have investment policies that, that really prescribe them only investing in fixed income to a degree. So really I think someone's exposure is a function of what they can do mm -hmm. and what they want to achieve. Yeah. Um, the question I think people need to think is when they buy fixed income, is it really fixed income or is it something that's sort of dressed up as fixed income but actually is probably more equity risk? Yeah, and then that's when you start to lose all of your money. And we typically associate fixed income with something that you can sell down in case there's a rainy day and the equity markets start to fall off. Yep. You expect your fixed income exposure to sort of relatively remain unchanged, hopefully, yes. still provide you an income. Yep. Um, and we, when we look at, look at a bucket approach with clients, it's all right, well, when do you need your money or when do you need to draw down on your money? I think that's the perfect way to think about it. Yeah, when you've got a fixed income, when you've got a, a portfolio of assets, whether it's in your own name, or when do you need assets access to those money and do you need them to pay you an income? So some people that might be focusing on an early retirement, retiring at 50 and not looking at their super fund. Yep. Um, whereas with people that are using their super fund, as they do start to approach the 60, 65, looking towards retiring, then they really need to start allocating maybe more more money towards these fixed income spaces um, because you don't have that risk that up and down you do get paid that you do get paid your income potentially yeah yeah, yeah. I think I think that's and that's the beauty of fixed income like as investors we don't know what the price of Woolworths will be in three years no. um, but we know Woolworths will be here in three years so from a lending perspective if you're happy to invest with them for three years on a loan and you're happy that you've got the investment horizon to invest for three years. The predictability of, of the return is very high. The predictability of the capital return is, is almost guaranteed. The key risk in fixed income is don't invest in something longer than you think you've got the capacity to own it. And effectively, don't invest in fixed income if you've got the expectation of 
equity-like returns. Mm. To me, fixed income is all about giving you predictability to take the risks in parts of your portfolio where you're better rewarded for risk. Uh, and that's challenging in, in today's climate yeah. um, with low yields. And where these companies, these bigger companies, talk about Woolworths, where they go out to the market and they, they ask for money yes. to borrow yep. from you, and they might call it a hybrid. Yep. Um, and then that might be an asset class that's an enhanced yield, whereas you're not, you're not it's not your typical fixed income product, but they've got different levels of their debt structure, which Correct. gives you that different um, confidence of getting your money back. Absolutely. Uh, you know, typically in, in markets, we refer to that as the capital structure. And depending on the companies, they're by and large are four layers to most companies' capital structure. And, and the top of that capital structure is effectively senior. Often it's secured. Uh, then you might move into subordinated debt. Uh, and then finally, you might move into what's called the hybrid charge. And then finally, equity. All things being equal, every time you move down the capital structure, you get a greater return, mm. but you also rank lower. Yep. And so I think that's really important that in some regards that investors in fixed income, they get paid their coupons before shareholders get paid their dividend. Yep. In the event of companies getting into problem, then shareholders lose their equity before bondholders contribute equity. And it, in essence, works through the capital structure. So stay short, stay at the top of the capital structure. Yes, returns might be a little bit lower, but the predictability of the asset class is in that space. Yeah, and you talked about, especially with these asset classes, writing it out and being able to dedicate to that, that period of time, whether it be three years, five years, seven years. Yeah. Typically with these, they are liquid, so you can trade in and out of them if you do need the money. Absolutely. However, if the if the capital price you do pay for these does go down, then you're going to be losing money. Potentially. I think the only risk in fixed income is you sell something in, a, in, a, in an environment where risk is differently priced than you bought it. Outside of that, if you're in, in, in the investment, in, in broad terms, equivalent to the length of the loans or the, the average life of the loans, then the risk of that capital volatility is pretty minimal. Mm. But you can see scenarios where if you bought a, a fixed income investment the day before the credit crisis in the GFC and tried to sell it in the midst of the credit crisis, you might sell it at 80 cents in the dollar. Mm. Um, but conversely, for the investors that bought it at 80 cents in the dollar, two years later they were getting 100 cents in the dollar. So the real risk in fixed income is don't sell it at a point where you're not happy with the price or don't buy assets that trade at that price. Yep. You know, quality assets, always a liquid and quality assets always has vis visibility. And that's what it's all about. If you keep it short and keep it high quality, other investors want that asset because they want visibility and predictability. Yep. The real risk in some regards is sometimes that's hidden. You know, the average length of the loan sometimes can be hidden. Mm -hmm. The type of subordination you referred to before can be hidden. You know, bank hybrids can play a role in a portfolio, but why not own the bank shares? Because that's where you get the upside yep. and own the senior debt for the predictability and perpetual we'd prefer to own equity risk in, in banks and senior debt in banks than getting typically lost in the capital structure where we feel that we, we own the equity risk, but we don't necessarily get the equity return in that space. Mm -hmm. Those things are dynamic and they can change. Yeah. So this fixed income space, as you really start to drill down into it, there's a lot more to it than, than the average eye can see. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you're, when you're involved in the industry, you really get to see that. It's really important, you know, you look through every uh, advisor's APL or a list of investments that are available to direct shareholders, even in the listed markets now, and there are products that sound awfully similar, Stephen, they sound awfully similar to me, but I tell you what, they can perform awfully differently in yeah. different environments. And I think the most important thing that I'd counsel investors, if they're not sure, don't do it, and if they're not sure, seek advice talk to their professional advisors, talk to fund managers, and if they don't like the answers they're getting, then they should steer clear. 
But like anything, if you understand what's underneath the bonnet, you'll have a pretty good understanding of how it'll perform. In today's environment, I would caution investors from buying stories about returns, but I'd be working with companies that focus on risk because it's really important to manage risk and accept the returns that come from it rather than design returns and then mm. accept the risk that's commensurate with it. Yeah, and, and through, great, through periods of greater returns, obviously the risk is lower, it seems lower, yes. um, but as the market starts to turn, the risk becomes a lot higher. And you spoke before about um, during the GFC, companies or these hybrids losing 20% of their market yeah, value. Yeah, even more in some cases. Have you it? seen any of the horror stories where some of these companies have gone bankrupt where people have lent these monies or borrowed monies that they thought was secure? Oh, I think there's examples of that all the time. Mm. It's not examples that we have a lot of a perpetual because we're not in that space. Yeah. You know, we're in the space of finding quality businesses and lending to quality businesses. So, you know, those type of assets happen in the market, but they're not sort of consistent in, 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 in stories in our portfolios. But there's plenty of examples of investors that have made direct investments in high yield companies that have got cents in the dollar in recent years. You know, Mackay Sugar is a, mm. is a, is a one that comes to mind yep. but there are companies that were investment grade companies years ago that don't exist I mean Lehman Brothers is a perfect example I think That's it was right. a rated investment grade yep. investment bank of global reach and you know um, some people lost you know effectively all their money in, in, in that in senior debt in Lehman's I think you were getting 75 cents in the dollar so even though the company bankrupted and equity holders lost everything hybrid investors lost everything people who were at the top of the capital structure still reco recovered, I think, about 80 cents in the yeah. dollar. And there's your risk mitigation, that if you are relying on your, to keep your money throughout your retirement or things like that, these fixed income exposures, you still get some money back, hopefully, at the end of the day, if you're higher up the risk, the risk chain. <coughs> Absolutely, it's a trade-off with, <coughs> with everything. At the end of the day, there's no free lunch in investing. And I think that's the key guide. What are your expectations of fixed income? And if you come to any investment decision with clarity of what are the attributes I want from this, and I'd encourage investors to think that the role of fixed income is get your money back, have predictability, get an income stream that's sort of cash or better than cash through the cycle. And when you find those attributes, you'll get a return that we think is probably about 2% above cash. Mm. Now, 2% yeah. above cash is 3% today. Doesn't sound great, does it? It doesn't, <laughs> but it's 2% above cash. Yep. But I think if people are thinking about getting 8 or 10% from fixed income, they're not buying fixed income. No. And that story will change and we've seen that in previous cycles going into the GFC we sort of saw that in in other markets we saw that in in, in what were credit markets where investors were unhappy with the returns and they levered the returns they structured the returns and we came up with all those products that were called CDOs and CPDOs and CLOs and they're all credit rated um, many investors got burnt chasing a few extra bits yep um, in pursuit of higher returns they lost sight of the risk and um, that's why I would encourage people to seek professional advice or work with professional managers. Yep. At the end of the day, if professional managers aren't generating better returns, better risk-adjusted returns than investors can do themselves, there's no reason for people to use them. So the ultimate alignment is find managers that can show you the proof of, 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 of the skill and the value that comes from their active management. 100%, 100%. And this is where we get on to, you know, what kind of investor goes into these kinds of investments. Obviously, yeah. you've got different spectrums. Let's start down from the beginning, um, cash and term deposits. What yeah. kind of investor would be investing in cash and term deposits? Look, I think, you know, everyone has a role for, for liquidity. And for me, cash and to a degree, short dated term deposits are really a liquidity bucket. Mm. You know, you might have that in terms of meeting immediate cash flows. You might have that if you've got particular saving goals in mind. So there might be a young investor that's saving up to build, you know, a, a, a portfolio of, of, of cash for a house investment. You know, 
cash and term deposits makes sense for, for them. Um, a retired investor that's got cash flows to meet for their ongoing lifestyle expenses, keep it short, keep it liquid. Mm -hmm. But I think outside of that, much more money in cash and short dated term deposits is underselling the potential returns you can get from other parts of your portfolio. That's right, and potentially getting beaten by inflation. Correct, at currently. the moment, at the moment. Well, I think at the moment, inflation came out yesterday, I think at a point eight in the quarter. Well, that's uh, that's the cash rate done. Yeah, you know, in three months. <laughs> Beat so, yeah. yeah, and then you got you go you go further up the or further up the risk the risk profile yep. um, where you're targeting these these hybrids or lending to to good to good governments or to good businesses. Yep. What kind of investor would would lend money to these kinds of? These Again, kinds of I think I think they form a part of any sort of fixed income portfolio. But but the type of investors that might buy credit and credit, I'd say, is lending to non governments, and and they can still be very high credit quality are investors that are trying to get something better than cash, mm -hmm. but are also you know, aware um, to accept that there is some small volatility in the pursuit of that high return. So that would be what I'd call credit enhanced or cash yep. plus type investing. Um, typically, I'd expect that to achieve investors somewhere like 100 points to 200 points above cash or one to 2% above cash, so long as they've got a two to three year horizon. I think that's pretty indicative of a high quality investment grade portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're wanting a return above sort of 2% above cash, then you're gonna start moving down the capital structure. You're gonna be into subordinated debt or you're gonna be into longer dated debt. Nothing wrong with that, mm -hmm. but understand that the, the greater the credit risk in your fixed income or the greater the tenor of the loan that you make in your fixed income, you're gonna get paid more for taking that risk, yep. but you also introduce higher correlation with equity, you also introduce higher volatility, which may in fact be exactly the things that you're trying to reduce. That's right. So these people need to be comfortable with their money going up and down. Correct. With them potentially not getting their capital back. Yep. While they might get rewarded with higher income rates, yes. that capital piece that they so dearly rely upon is at risk. Exactly. And the, the challenge, the same, the same problem would exist if people traded and valued term deposits on a daily base. Yeah. At the end of the day, a term deposit is a loan and you think of that loan over three years, but you put your money away for three years and you put, pull it back in three years. Fixed income funds, in essence, might invest for three years, but they're trading every day. And so the volatility is not necessarily different than a term deposit, it's just valued differently. Yeah. But if you traded your term deposit every day, today we went into a bank and we set up a three-year term deposit at 2%, and tomorrow that bank was offering a 3% 3, 3 term deposit for the same tenor, you tried to sell your 2% loan, who's gonna buy it? Nah. No one's gonna <laughs> buy it. But conversely, if you'd locked in 2% and the bank's offering 1% the next day, you're in the money. Yeah. And that's really the challenge with fixed income. Everything can fit on these axes, Stefan, of what people call credit risk and duration risk. Some securities have no credit risk and lots of duration. That's like a US government bond. The risk is minimal that you lose money from the credit, but the interest rate risk is high yeah. because you've locked in 30 years worth of interest rates and who knows what's going to happen in 30 years. Conversely, you can have a, a short duration loan that's got no interest rate risk, but you might be lending to a sub-investment grade company and you've got a lot of credit risk. You don't really know. And if you don't know, as I said, find out, ask the questions. And if you're not sure what the questions are, work with guys like you or Perpetual to, to find out. Yeah, exactly right. And there you go. So to fixed income, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very in-depth space. Thanks so much for, for Absolute coming on. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. I reckon this conversation has opened up a lot of people's eyes to what the fixed income space is about. It's mainly about time, 
and the risk you want to take with your money. It is, it is. And it can be a really exciting asset class, get it right, and as I said, the other things in your portfolio matter less by the nature of you've got the, the predictability and the certainty that this asset class mm -hmm. uh, can provide. And I, as I said, I'd really caution against people chasing yield in an environment where risk is a little poorly priced, yields are low, that you want to think a little bit about what you expect from the asset class, accept the attributes rather than pursue a return because pursuing the return may well introduce risks that you're not expecting. 100%. Mate, thank you so much Absolute for coming pleasure. on. Thanks for having me here. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. Um, if you've got any more questions, feel free to leave a comment below. Other than that, uh, we'll see you soon, mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers, really Stephen. appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thank okay. you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Investor Types podcast. What I want to remind you is that everything you heard in this podcast is general advice only. Please don't consider it as personal advice. If you do want to consider, consider it as being personal advice, please go and speak to your licensed financial planner. Everything here is just informational purposes only. Take it as you will. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. See you soon.